If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? The state of Oklahoma executed John Marion Grant on Thursday, Holy One. The details of it are so brutal that we are mindful the children are listening and we do not want to scare them. There is debate about whether or not he deserved it. He was, after all, found guilty. But if we are playing by those rules, then Jesus deserved to be crucified. He was found guilty of everything with which they had charged him. Who will be the one to suggest If you can't do the time, don't do the crime to the one we call the Christ. Forgive us, Holy One, for continuing to let the state commit murder in our name. It reflects nothing of the mercy and redemption that we ourselves have received. It indicates that we are unbothered by choosing revenge and retribution over restoration. It seems like it wouldn't take much for us to do better but so little has been done for the last 2,000 years. It seems like our petition should be more detailed, Holy One, but here we are. For the strength and wisdom to stop committing murder, we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 25. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. Saul had expelled the mediums and the wizards from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, not by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium so that I may go to her and inquire of her. His servant said to him, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes and went there, he and two men with him. They came to the woman by night 
And he said, consult a spirit for me and bring up for me the one whom I name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the wizards from this land. Why then are you laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he answered, bring up Samuel for me. Then the woman saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, have no fear. What do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up from out of the ground. He said to her, what is her appearance? She said, an old man is coming up. He is wrapped in a robe. So Paul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face on the ground and did obeisance. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Paul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams, so I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and became your enemy? The Lord has done to you just as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel, And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. The woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Your servant has listened to you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also listen to your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you. Eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he got up from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house. She quickly slaughtered it, and she took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened cakes. She put them before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. As some of you might be thinking, it seems that we have added a bonus week to the sermon series that was supposed to finish last Sunday, sermons on untold and overlooked stories of the Bible. The Witch of Endor is definitely one of those stories, maybe even more so than the other stories we focused on for the last three weeks. 
It's possible you had no idea that witches are included in our sacred scripture. They are right in there along with talking donkeys and dragons and potions and spells, most of which is not read on Sunday mornings. First Samuel chapter 28 verses 3 through 25 is a scripture pericope that does not make it into the lectionary at all, not one time, not a single verse of it. While it would certainly serve us to learn from the Witch of Indoor at any time of the year, All Hallows' Eve, or Halloween, is a very convenient opportunity to share a tale that involves ghosts and so-called witches. When Christian fundamentalists think that children should be protected from literature like Harry Potter, lest the sorcery in it corrupt them, one wonders if they have actually read the Bible. For, as we've already noted, it's in Scripture too. First Samuel would certainly make the list of banned books of the Bible. It includes a medium and a ghost. The woman in the story is a necromancer, someone who uses witchcraft or sorcery, especially to reanimate dead people or to foretell the future by communicating with them. She is most commonly referred to as a witch. And what is a witch exactly? Historian Ronald Hutton explains that the standard scholarly definition of a witch was summed up in 1978 by leading expert in anthropology of religion, Rodney Needham, who said that it is someone who causes harm to others by mystical means. That is, however, only one current usage of the word. In fact, Anglo-American senses of of it now add at least three other different forms. The others define a witch figure as any person who uses magic, although those who use it for the benefit of others are often popularly distinguished as good witches, think Glinda the Good Witch, or as a practitioner of nature-based pagan religion, or as a symbol of independent female authority and resistance to male domination. (laughs) A witch. The bottom line is that when the label witch is used, it is generally not meant as a compliment, but rather to insinuate something dark and sinister. And this has certainly been the case for traditional interpretations of the woman in this text, which almost always vilifies her as a witch. Up to this point in scripture, there have been some other references to witches. At one point, Mosaic law ordered that a kashev should not be permitted to survive. Exodus 22:18 is a passage officially translated in the King James Bible as, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. A proper understanding of this text is possible only if we knew exactly what a kashev was and was supposed to do. All we do know is that she is a specifically female practitioner of some kind of magic. And it should be noted that it is unclear from the language whether she is expected to be killed or simply not allowed to live in the community, in other words, exiled. All in all, the Hebrew Bible spends very little time on magic. 
because it is primarily concerned with condemning the worship of other gods and ultimately practices that would otherwise be labeled as witchcraft were acceptable as long as they were done by accredited, divinely empowered representatives of Yahweh. For instance, Moses puts a Hebrew to death for cursing in Yahweh's name, but the same curse is regarded as wholly acceptable when employed by the prophet Elisha, who is considered a special instrument of God. Our story is another example of this. We are in the final desperate hours of King Saul. On the eve of battle with the Philistines, Saul is panicked, not just about the impending battle, but about being replaced as king by David. He is anxious and fearful of the future. He wants someone to tell him what to do, which is ironic given that God had told him what to do, but Saul had ignored the advice. Now, in the hottest of hot water, Saul is desperately wanting to hear from God, desperately wanting God to tell him what to do. His listening ears are turned on. Verse 6 tells us that Saul has inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. And then it lists various attempts that would otherwise be labeled witchcraft had they not been done by the people writing the story. Visions, casting lots with divine dice, and trying to see into the future. None of it had worked, so Saul needed help. But the problem is that earlier he had expelled all mediums and wizards from the land. Of course, if they had been serving Yahweh, they would have been called prophets. It's a case of do as I say, not as I do. Of course, we do not need a sermon on being hypocritical. We do not need a sermon on condemning others for doing things we ourselves do. We do not need to be reminded that extremism can happen on both the right and the left, that purity tests are not exclusive to conservative politics or theology. We do not need a reminder of that line from Jesus about taking care of the plank in our own eye. That's not a sermon we need to hear, right? Good. So we'll just tuck that in our back pocket and move on. Saul believes we must hear, he must hear from Samuel, the prophet who anointed him as the first king of Israel, Perhaps if he could just get back to the good old days, things would work themselves out. So Saul goes to the woman at Endor in disguise and at night, accompanied by two of his men, and asks her to conjure the prophet Samuel. This, however, is not her first rodeo. She knows to be suspicious. She cites Paul's prohibition of mediums and wizards and straight up asks them if they are trying to entrap her. To violate royal decree is to risk death, and she does not seem to be in the business of regularly flaunting this royal prohibition. But after some reassurance, the woman is persuaded, and suddenly the prophet Samuel appears. But as it turns out, the past is crankier than Saul remembered. 
Samuel is not thrilled to have been conjured. Death has not mellowed him. He is as harsh and unyielding and crotchety as he was in life. The news is not good for Saul. The future of Israel is not in the past. Saul's prior disobedience and unfaithfulness will indeed lead to their natural consequences. And Saul collapses. It would be easy, it would be easy to dismiss this tale as just a ghost story, but we do not live in such a different time as Saul. In some ways, we are deeply anxious and fearful of the future in the way that Saul was. The hostile forces that face us are different from the Philistines, but no less deadly. Apathy, division, anxiety, everything from family systems to the ongoing pandemic, and apparently the fact that paid family leave is not going to happen anytime soon, Having botched another execution last Thursday, the state of Oklahoma still plans to enforce the death penalty five more times over the next five months. And many of us are just plain tired, weary from trying to juggle it all because sometimes it really does feel that being adult means saying, well, after this week, things will slow down over and over until we die. It is at this point that we could do some theological heavy lifting, really comb through some of the phrases in the text, phrases like Saul inquired of the Lord, what does that mean? Or we could review Saul and Samuel's history, or even turn to David and the future of Israel to find some deep wisdom about dealing with a world that is on fire and increasingly heavy personal burdens. But that's not what happens in the story. Samuel does not tell Saul to go look up his constructive theology dissertation. No. We've actually heard this story before, just a few months ago, in fact. It's almost a repeat of the time Elijah ran for his life, also deeply anxious and fearful of the future, he crashed in the desert and then woke up to find an angel cooking dinner for him. You remember what the angel said to him. Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He had miles to go. And here, the woman of Endor, God bless her, also knows the spiritual significance of a snack even if she's a witch. The king of Israel has collapsed in her living room, and she says, we got to get some carbs in you, son. She knows he has miles to go. Other than the instructions to pray, eat something is one of the most consistent theological responses to trouble that we find in scripture. So it is that we find ourselves regularly snacking in church. We call it a sacrament instead of a snack because we have made it a practice, an intentional pause in the hurried pace of everything else 
so that we can put ourselves in a place to consider things, to be reflective, to find our gratitude, and to renew our strength. So if you are someone who is in a tight spot or someone who is worried about the future, if you are someone here who is tired or if you are wondering if there's really anything more to this, please find your bulletin and join me in the invitation to the table. Perhaps at one time or another you were told that there is no place for you at this table, that it is only for people who believe the right things, check the right boxes, or exist in the right way. But in this place, all who gather around are welcome at God's table. In fact, we are not simply welcomed. We are expected. A place has been set for each of us. There is no dress code, no RSVP requirement, and no prerequisites. There is no need to wonder if you are included in this invitation. You are as are strangers, neighbors, seekers, doubters, and believers. I already belong. You already belong. We already belong. So come one, come all, for the table is ready. Please take your elements of communion and hold them in front of you so that we might bless them together with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we ask your blessing on the bread and on the cup, and some might say we are whispering words like we are casting a spell. We are not really expecting something magical to happen, although we trust that something shifts when we ask forgiveness for our sins and offer forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. The truth is that communion really is a mystery. We do not understand exactly what happens at this table, only that there is indeed room for everyone and that a bite of bread and a sip from the cup nourishes our souls and strengthens the ties between us. So we ask for this blessing, fully trusting the sacred mystery of love to transform our hearts and minds and ultimately the world. We pray in the name of love itself, amen. Since we know that Jesus grew up on stories like Elijah and the angel and Saul and the woman of Endor, we should not be surprised that on the eve of the most difficult time of his life, Jesus gathered his friends for a snack. It was Passover, of course, but one might say that this is where the tradition started for Passover is yet another example of people of faith preparing a meal in a moment of terrible trouble. The Israelites were still enslaved, the future unsure, the path forward unclear. 
so it is that when we come to the table, we remember this long line of faithful people who paused for a meal when they got scared. We remember the sacred mystery of how a bite of bread can give us enough strength to carry on, to do the next right thing, to stay renewed in spirit. We remember that Jesus blessed the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, though broken, still provides nourishment. And we remember that he took the cup and he poured it and blessed it, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said to eat this snack in remembrance of his life and mystery, which consisted of healing and prayer and building community. And so it is in the name of Jesus that we do so now. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we give thanks for this sacred moment, grateful for these practices that call us back to center, grateful to be elbow to elbow with fellow travelers on the way. We promise to carry our gratitude with us as we go, ready to offer the grace we have so freely been given. We pray in your holy name, amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.